Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to the book of Deuteronomy, and I'm going to invite you to be getting your Bibles open up to Deuteronomy as well. Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, is where we're going to begin. We'll be in Deuteronomy extensively this morning, so let's get those Bibles cranking and be ready to look in the Word of God. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to speak to you again this morning, and I hope that you are ready to engage your heart and engage your mind in spiritual things. You know, it is an unseasonably cool day here in the Commonwealth, but it is the first day of the week, my absolute favorite day of the week. And so I am most eager and excited to get in the Word of God and to spend that time with you over the course of these next few minutes. Let's read together in Deuteronomy chapter 8. As Moses is delivering his final instructions to the children of Israel before they're about to go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says this to them in verse number 1. He says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. I think it's safe to say that the past eight weeks or so have been very, very unique, to say the least. And when all of this is said and done, I imagine that we're all going to have lots of memories of those weird, strange couple of months during the spring of 2020 when the whole world seemingly came to a grinding halt. What will you remember from the coronavirus pandemic of 2020? Will your memories be flooded with images of toilet paper and face masks and long lines at the supermarket? Perhaps you'll remember a vacation that got scrapped or maybe a graduation that got all messed up or a wedding that had to be postponed. Maybe our church arrangements, the things that we've had to do to modify for worship and for Bible study as a congregation, maybe years from now this is what you'll look back on and you'll really, really remember. But can I ask you this morning, what about your kids? Have you thought about that? What will your kids remember when they think back on all those consecutive weeks where school was shut down, where sports weren't an option, where hanging out with friends was incredibly limited, and it was just you and them at home? What are they going to remember about this extended period when they were isolated with mom and dad day after day after day? Will those memories be sour and bitter because of all the things that they had to miss out on and the things they didn't get to do? Will maybe many of those memories just be on trivial things because they kind of wasted most of this time just playing video games or scrolling through their iPhone? What will your kids remember from being in your home, mom and dad? And in fact, let's expand that. What will they remember not just during this time of the pandemic, but during the entirety of their upbringing, what will they remember from growing up in your home? That is a profound question. And our text in Deuteronomy chapter 8 says that Moses was very concerned with what God's children, the children of Israel, remembered from that 40-year period when they were quarantined in the wilderness. In fact, the next time that you're reading in the book of Deuteronomy, just underline and take note of all of the times where Moses says, Remember. 
Be careful to remember. Don't forget what I told you. Moses understood that he would not be going into the promised land. And the children of Israel, they would be going in without him. Which means they would need to remember the important things that they had been taught while they were under his care. And as I read from Deuteronomy last week in our Bible reading plan, it occurred to me that just as Moses, acting like a father, just as he wanted the children of Israel to remember some things from their time together, it dawned on me that I need to be thinking in those same terms as a father to my children. What will they remember from growing up in our home that they can then carry forward into the future? This morning I want us to think about that for just a few moments. And I want us to use Moses' admonitions to the Israelites as our guide. And I want to do that by highlighting three big ideas from the book of Deuteronomy that will help us to make sure, parents, that our kids look back at the time that was spent in our homes and they will remember that as being a spiritual training ground. That my mom and my dad, they were preparing me to serve God all the days of my life. Are you ready to talk about that? Are you ready to think about that? Let's get the first of those big ideas from Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, notice what Moses says in verse 9. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, Moses says to Israel there, Deuteronomy 4, 9, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget. That is, I want you to remember the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, that the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And how you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness and cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. And you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And He declared to you His covenant which He commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And He wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. The beginning for the children of Israel and the beginning for our homes is the understanding that God has spoken. And as such, we must build into our lives and we must build into the lives of our children a deep and abiding respect for the Word of God. Does that describe your home, mom and dad? Will your kids remember that in our home growing up, there was an emphasis, there was a respect for God's Word, that it was the absolute and supreme authority. Just as God spoke to Moses and to the children of Israel on that mountain so long ago, we want our kids to understand that God has spoken to us. And it is encapsulated and it is bound for us in this book that we call the Bible. And it is not a book of suggestions. Oh, no, 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 no. It is the very word that orders and directs our entire lives. 
And our homes, mom and dad, our homes is where that first needs to be taught. Would you step out of Deuteronomy for just a moment? Look with me in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul indicates that the home that Timothy grew up in was marked by this kind of respect for God's Word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is verse 14, Paul says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy's mother and seemingly his grandmother saw to it that their son, their grandson, grew up in an environment where the Scriptures were taught and honored and obeyed. And by the grace of God, the result of their efforts was a young man who became an outstanding Christian, a pillar in the early church, and a preacher of the gospel. Mom and Dad, what are we doing to cultivate that kind of emphasis on the Word of God in our home? Somebody maybe says, well, I I think that means we need to be reading the Bible in our homes. That is exactly right. We do. We need to be reading the Bible in our homes. We need to be reading the Bible to our children. We need to be reading the Bible as a family. We need to set aside time where we shut everything off, put down all the gadgets and all of the gizmos and all of the electronics, and we're going to sit down and we're going to listen to the voice of God. I count that as a given. I count that and I just assume and trust that you're already doing that. But I'm going to suggest to you moms and dads that that is not enough to just read the Bible in your home. we got to take that to another level with our kids and that is by talking with them about God's Word. That is, we need to talk to them about God's Word in our lives. What it means. How it affects us on a daily basis. Would you turn back to Deuteronomy this time in chapter 6? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want you to notice that this is not just about some kind of cold and sterile family Bible reading time. You know, Moses did not say, now you charge your children, hey, little Shephatiah, go over there on the, go over there on the shelf and get the scroll and let's sit down and let's read the Bible together. No, that's not what Moses says. Moses says in Deuteronomy 6 and in verse 6, he says, these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. You realize that Moses is not talking here about some kind of a stilted and formal sit down, let's read the Bible time. No. No, for most Israelites, they wouldn't have even had a copy of the Bible, a copy of the Torah to read from. And so what Deuteronomy 6 is talking about is natural, spontaneous conversation about the law of God. That as we are involved in day-to-day living, we're going to talk about how God's Word intersects our lives. And that's the idea, that as we're sitting at the dinner table, or as I'm crouched at my child's bedside, or as we're driving down the road together, mom and dad, we're going to be finding opportunities to connect God's Word to everyday life. I remember a couple years ago, Hattie would have been three or four years old, and she was riding with me in the truck, which means she got to sit up front. 
And she got to sit kind of a little higher than she normally does. And it means she got to see the full view through the front windshield. She was seeing everything that I was seeing. And as we were coming down through town, what happened was is we saw a man who had been stopped by the police. And as the long line of cars were kind of backed up and slowly passing by and we got close enough to see what was going on, we saw that that man was looking really tipsy. It appeared as if he was drunk. And the policeman ended up putting him in handcuffs as we drove by. He evidently was being arrested for driving impaired. Hattie's eyes, as she saw all of that in real life, her eyes swelled up about the size of half dollars and she said, what is he doing to that man? And that occasion, that moment, it provided an opportunity for some conversation. We talked about what it means to break the law. We talked about alcohol and how it destroys people's lives. We talked about how that man was not going home to his family that evening. He wasn't going to be with his kids. He wasn't going to be with his wife. He was probably going to lose his job. We were able to relate the things that we had seen to the Word of God. And what I wanted then is what I still want now. And that is for my daughters to understand that what God says matters. And it matters not just in this building. And it matters not just when they're sitting back there in Bible class. But it matters in every place, everywhere, every day. That this book, it has weight. And it has influence. And it shapes and molds how we are to think and the decisions that we make and how it is that we are to live. My question this morning is, will your kids remember that your home was characterized by an interest in, a seriousness for the Word of God? Or will your kids remember, well, the only book I ever saw Mama reading was Facebook. And come to think of it, I can't ever remember a time where Daddy talked to me about the Scriptures and how it related to daily life. Parents, you are shaping their memories right now. What will they remember? If you're still in Deuteronomy, let's go and grab this second idea. Look with me in chapter 24. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses wants to convey this next big idea. In fact, it's something that you and I might be a little bit surprised to hear him talk about. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, I'm reading here beginning in verse 17. In Deuteronomy 24 and in verse 17, Moses says, You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt... Therefore, I command you to do this. It seems as if, secondly, Moses wanted the Israelites to remember where it is that they came from. And he wanted them to remember that so that they would always have a regard for the weak. Moses wanted them to remember that at one time, they had been small and pitiful and weak. 
And so when they saw someone else in need, they needed to hark back. They needed to rewind in their mind and they needed to say, there but for the grace of God go I. Moses wanted them to be moved to action and to help those who were truly in need. And the truth of the matter is, there are still people like that in our world today. There are those who are weak. There are people, for example, who are weak physically. They are sick, or they're infirm, or they're elderly, and they just don't get around as well as they used to. There are people who are weak financially. They just don't have as much of this world's goods. There are people even in recent weeks because of the pandemic, they have lost their jobs, they've become unemployed, and so they're now struggling with their finances. There are people as well who are weak spiritually, who for whatever reason just can't seem to get it all together and just start hitting it for the Lord. They're always two steps forward and then three steps back. They are weak. Now what's the world's reaction to weak people? Well, the world's reaction is to sneer. Ah, she's not sick. She's just a hypochondriac. And that guy over there always asking for money. Come on, he's lazy. Get a job, buddy. Or what about brother week or sister week in the congregation? They're never going to get it together. Why do we keep wasting time on those people? Can I ask you, where is our regard for the week? And are we teaching and modeling for our kids a regard for the weak? Or are we teaching and modeling for them a jaded cynicism and a hard-heartedness toward those who are struggling in life? It's certainly true that there are people who use sickness as a crutch. And there are people who could work, but they're just lazy. And yes, as well, there are people who are never going to fully serve Christ the way that they ought to. But let's be honest. Sometimes our big sweeping generalizations are really just designed to camouflage to our children the real problem. And that is that we just want to justify our own selfishness and stinginess. That we've got what we've got and we're in good shape over here and you know what? We don't want to share and we don't want to care and we don't want to take time for other people. But the Lord... The Lord sees the weak. And the Lord sees as well that we are passing by on the other side. And salted all throughout Scripture is God's concern for the weak. Would you look with me in Psalm 41, please? In Psalm chapter 41, let's just grab a little bit of this from the Old and the New Testament. In Psalm chapter 41, look in verse 1. In Psalm 41 and in verse 1, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. How about that? What about in the New Testament? Look at Matthew 25. In Matthew chapter 25, what's the day of judgment going to be like? What's going to happen? What's going to be the criteria there? I'm pretty sure that there are some Christians who think that the Lord on that day, He's going to look at a church attendance chart. Or he's going to want to see your daily Bible reading schedule and whether you've got all of those check boxes, all those marked off. And while I never want to diminish the importance of assembling for worship or Bible reading, you need to know that that is not the emphasis in Matthew chapter 25. 
Because what Jesus says on Judgment Day, Matthew 25, verse 34, the king is going to say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, who are these people? Verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And lest anybody wonders, well, how can we do all of that to the Lord? Look at verse 40. The king says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. What are these things? What are these things described for us here in Matthew chapter 25? These are acts of mercy. This is a regard for the weak. And parents, we need to understand that our kids, they get that. I think they get that more than we even realize. I think our kids are more generous and more caring than sometimes we give them credit for. A couple months ago, Hattie saw on TV, or maybe she saw it on one of our phones, was watching a video of, of the news report of the tornadoes that had swept through Middle Tennessee. And she was seeing those images of the wreckage that had been done to people's homes not only the loss of life, but people that had lost their houses, children that had lost all of their toys and all of their things. And one of the first things that Hattie said after she got over kind of the initial shock of what she saw, she said, maybe I can get some of my little toys and I could send it to those little kids down there. Kids get it. They do. But you know what? Sometimes we just teach it right out of them. We do. We teach them to be suspicious. We teach them to be cynical. We teach them to be distrusting. We teach them that everybody's a scam artist, so you always got to be careful. We teach them that nobody is really in need. We teach them to hoard and to miser because what's yours is yours. We teach them that, well, the world essentially revolves around them. And so as they grow up, that's how they come to think that, yeah, the world does revolve around me and there's not anybody else that I need to think about. Please don't misunderstand me this morning. We do need to be good stewards of what we've been blessed with. And we certainly don't want to enable bad habits and bad behavior. And we certainly don't want our kids to grow up and to be naive. I don't want to say it is wrong to teach our children to be stingy and to be selfish and to be self-centered to where they have no regard for the weak. Moses said in Deuteronomy 24, I want you to remember where you came from I want you to remember who it was that delivered you so that you can have a regard for the weak. And yes, I understand that sometimes that can be a challenge. It can sometimes be difficult to separate the true from the fake. But in our families, we want our children to see that God's people look out for the weak. We look out for the less fortunate. We look out for those who are hurting and struggling. And you know what? Even if we erred, we erred on the side of compassion. Will your kids remember that in your home? That mom and dad demonstrated a regard for the weak? Or will they remember that more often than not, you just turned a cold shoulder and a blind eye? Go back to Deuteronomy one more time. This time in chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, read with me if you will, beginning in verse 17. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and in verse 17, Moses says this. 
He says, if you say in your heart, these nations, going into Canaan, there's all these big bad nations. If you say in your heart that these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moses speaks of adversity for the children of Israel. And he tells them that when adversity comes, that the way adversity is overcome is by relying on God's power. That's what we do. We turn to the Lord. You know, all of us will be confronted with adversities in this life. You know, these last couple of months have certainly been a universal illustration of that principle. Adversity for you may mean the loss of a job. It may mean a a, a bad and unwelcome health diagnosis. It may mean some other unexpected trial that brings hardship and brings stress. And so really the question is not so much if you will experience adversity. The question is when you experience adversity, what are your kids going to remember about how mama and daddy handled that in our home? I'll tell you what some of your kids are going to remember. Some of your kids are going to remember that our neighbors, they were always there. Boy, they were such good neighbors, they were always there to help us out and to bail us out in times of trouble. Some of your kids are going to remember that grandpa and grandpa was that knight in shining armor who was always there to bail us out and to help us out and to help calm things down. Or you know, some of your kids are going to remember that you know what, we didn't take help from anybody. Daddy didn't believe in taking charity or accepting help from anybody. We just toughed it out on our own. But what I want to know is will anyone's kids remember that in our family we relied on God? And we relied on the power of His might. I cannot stress enough how important this is in our world today. More and more our society says that well, you, you just really don't need God. I mean, come on, with such technology, with such medical advancements, with such luxuries that we enjoy, yeah, who needs God? When you face adversity, you don't need the Lord or the Bible or the church or religion. No, just look within yourself. You can do it on your own. The power of the human spirit, don't you know? Mom and Dad, what are you doing to counteract that line of thinking? What are you doing to show to your kids that our God, He is alive? And that's more than just a song that we sing. No, He is active in our lives. And that we need Him. How are you showing that? I think maybe the best way that we show that is in how we pray. How are we praying? Because there really may be no more tangible and visible way to show our helplessness and our dependence upon God than in prayer. When we fall to our knees... And we say, oh Lord, we can't do anything about this. Help us, God. When we prostrate ourselves, humble ourselves before Him, and we say, Lord, this problem is bigger than us. We don't know what to do here. Lord, we need You. I'm asking you moms and dads, do your kids see you relying on God like that 
in life? Do they see that you seek out the living God in assistance and in help when it's needed? Or are we just leading our kids further and further into today's secular do-it-yourself philosophy? Look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 7. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, we read here about the Israelites getting into a skirmish with one of those big bad groups that were in the promised land. We read here about them being confronted by the Philistines. But with God's help in 1 Samuel chapter 7, they're able to overcome the Philistines. Look at what Samuel then does. In 1 Samuel chapter 7 and in verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and he called its name Ebenezer. Do you know about the Ebenezer stone? When I was a kid, we'd sing that song in our songbook, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. I thought we were singing a Christmas song. It's not a Christmas song. Well, what is the Ebenezer stone? What was the meaning of it? What did it represent? 1 Samuel 7 verse 12. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. That Ebenezer stone was a monument to the power of God. It was a big rock that when folks walked by it, kids would say, Dad, what's that big rock doing there? What's that all about? And the dad would say, oh son, that's the Ebenezer stone. Don't, you don't know about the Ebenezer No, I don't know about the Ebenezer stone. Well, let me tell you about the Ebenezer stone. When we came into Canaan, we were confronted by these big mean Philistines. And they seemed so much greater than we were. So, so much more powerful than we were. They were meaner and badder than we were. But our God delivered us. By His power, by His mighty hand, He saved us. And so that stone is a monument to what God can do. And you realize, don't you, that we still have a monument like that today. It's called the Lord's Supper. And it is a monument to the power of God to deliver His people from sin. And so let me ask you, moms and dads, do you have any monuments in your family? That is, moments and places that you've marked out in your family timeline where in the face of adversity you pinpoint and you can remember back and your kids can remember and they can say, we turn to God in that circumstance. We turned to the ultimate source of help. We relied on God's power. Back in November, when my dad learned uh, that he was having an issue with kidney failure, we told Hattie about the fact that her papaw had went to the doctor and that he had gotten some bad news and that we really weren't sure how things were going to go. And Hattie, in her own frightened, concerned, five-year-old way, she said, Oh no, what are we going to do? To which we promptly said, The only thing that we can do, we're going to pray. We're going to turn to God. And we're going to ask Him to make Papaw better. And for months, that became a regular fixture in the prayers at the McKibben household, in the prayers of young Hattie Joe McKibben. Our reliance on the Lord. Our trusting in His power. That's going to be the only place that we're going to find security and calm and peace and certainty. 
And when the Lord responds, when the Lord brings us through those valleys safely, when the Lord brings us through that trial or adversity, we don't talk about how, wow, we were so lucky. No, we talk about how the Lord has blessed us. And we don't talk about how we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we got through that. No, we talk about how our mighty God lifted us up in as many ways as we possibly can. We want our children to know that God is not tired and He is not retired. He is active. He works. He saves. He helps and delivers. And so, mom and dads, in your home, will your kids remember that? Will they remember that you relied on Him Or will they remember that God was mostly just an afterthought when trouble and adversity came? I think Moses really gives us a full look at what we need to be doing as parents in our homes so that our kids can look back and they can remember the right things. It's awfully tough raising kids today. But I might share with you a letter that maybe helps to put some of that into perspective. Today is Mother's Day, and so maybe it seems appropriate to share a mother's letter to her unborn daughter. This woman's name is Elizabeth Moonstorp, and she was martyred for her faith in the year 1573. When she wrote this letter, her husband had already been burned at the stake. But she was spared in somewhat of an ironic and cruel twist because she was pregnant with child. Elizabeth and her husband were Dutch Anabaptists. Dutch Anabaptists believe in adult free will baptism and in individual responsibility before God. Unfortunately, those beliefs clashed with the state church. And so the state church relentlessly hunted and killed people who opposed their doctrine. Elizabeth knew that when she gave birth that they would take her child and that immediately after she would be taken and be executed. And so she wrote this letter, never bitter, never complaining, just saddened that she would not have the opportunity and the privilege of raising her child to know the Lord. And so she wrote, My dearest Yannickan, I leave you here. Oh, that it had pleased the Lord that I might have brought you up. I should so gladly have done so, I would have done my best with respect to it, but it seems that it is not the Lord's will. Therefore, I must through these lines cause you to remember that when you have attained your understanding, that you endeavor to fear God and to see and examine why and for whose name we both died. I would imagine that it is very hard to raise a child through a letter. And I thank God that I have not had to write such a letter. We are granted the marvelous privilege of raising our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are given the opportunity to help our children become God's children. And my hope this morning is that the words of Moses have caused us to take that a little bit more seriously. And in fact, in light of the recent pandemic, look at the bright side. Let's look at the glass half full. 
This period of time has allowed us, and even for a while it's going to continue to allow us, the opportunity to get more serious, more devoted to being involved in these kinds of things so that our kids will remember what is most important in this life. Would you pray with me, please? Our dear gracious God, we come before you, Lord, thankful for your servant Moses and for the powerful words that he left to your children, the Israelites. Father, we ask you to help us to be stirred to action by what those words convey to us as your people and as parents. Father, help us to build homes that have respect for your word, that have a regard for the weak, and that have reliance upon your power. And Father, we ask you to forgive us where we fall short. We ask a blessing upon each one of us, not just as parents, but as all of us who have an influence on children. Help us to use that influence that we might lead them to know and love and to serve you. Father, we thank you most of all for the gift of your child, your precious son Jesus, and for the salvation that's made possible through his blood. And it is in his holy name that we offer this prayer. And amen.